I would like to thank Josh Getzoff coming on today's edition of the Paycast. He's the Penguins radio play-by-play and TV host. Uh, Josh, thank you again for coming on. Before we get to the interview, how are you doing today? Thanks for having me, Michael. Yeah, great to join you. Uh, doing well, just trying to stay busy as best we can, and I'm sure you're in the same boat with everything going on, but uh, enjoying trying to stay busy. It's like an activity in and of itself, so this is a good way to do that. <laughs> Uh, so getting into the interview, uh, who influenced you to get into sports journalism? Um, it's something I've always wanted to do. I played hockey, I'm sure much like yourself and many other people growing up. Um, it was always a goal of mine to play professionally. I realized at a pretty young age, it probably wasn't going to happen for me. Um, so I started to get into broadcasting and I grew up in Philadelphia. Um, so there were actually, yeah, I know it's, uh, it was, it's quite a transition coming to Pittsburgh. <laughs> People are uh, people are over that now. I've I've shed as you can see I've shed the black and gold or the uh, yeah. black for the black and gold. Um, but I uh, yeah so I, I grew up in Philadelphia. My my idol was Harry Callis. Uh, growing up, he's a you know since passed away, but he was a play-by-play voice for the Phillies in baseball. Uh, he did a lot of MLB films, NFL films, voiceovers. Uh, just had this unbelievable low voice that worked so well with play-by-play that I really enjoyed listening to him call a game. Um, and then, you know, actually, I tell a lot of people this story that the guy who I call games with here, who I share the duties with on play-by-play, Mike Lang, who's in the Hockey Hall of Fame. Uh, when I was younger, I used to listen to the radio a lot when I would go to sleep. And for some reason in Philadelphia, we were able to get the signal for Penguins broadcast, even though it was the other side of the state. Um, so I actually listened to Mike a lot. Um, and I was very familiar with who he was and, and how well uh, he called the game. And I enjoyed listening to him, too. And I've told that to a lot of people here that even though I was over there, I still had my eyes and ears over here, too. So, uh, yeah, those are definitely two guys that have, have had uh, pretty big influence on me. So going back a bit before we get into the present, uh, what college did you attend for uh, sports journalism? So I went to Ithaca College uh, in central New York. It's about... Uh, I want to say a little under three hours east of Buffalo, so about three and a half, four from the Canadian border in that direction. Um, we uh, were on basically Ithaca is a two hills and a valley is the town of Ithaca. On one hill you have Ithaca College, on the other hill you have Cornell University. Um, so we had a pretty big hockey powerhouse from the NCAA collegiate ranks right across the way from us that I was able to do a lot of work with when I was there and kind of get, uh, you know, some, some valuable experience covering a high-level program uh, with that. But Ithaca was where I went, uh, loved it. I would not be where I am now without the, the uh, opportunities and schooling that I got there and the connections that I made there. So that definitely uh, is a place that's near and dear to my heart. How does the pace of play uh, in the NCAA compare to the NHL? I think right now, um, and granted, I graduated school in 2011, so the, the names that we know now that we link to the NHL and NCAA over the last handful of years, like the Jack Eichels, the Johnny Goudreaux, you know, Cal McCars, those kind of players, were still a few years away from playing in the college game when I graduated. Um, but what I remember about it was it was a lot more physical. Um, skill was there. Speed was not as much, but now I think when you look at it, I don't know how, I mean, there's obviously a a significant difference as far as the depth, but some of these high-end college players, as we've seen, that have come into the NHL, you know, at 19, 20 years old, and Kel McCarr's uh, spot steps into a role before he's even 20, and you can already tell this guy's going to be an absolute stud. Uh, Quinn Hughes, another guy with Vancouver, obviously playing in Michigan. Um, So I think that when you look at rosters now in the NCAA, the top you know, four or five players probably are, are NHL caliber players. Whereas when I was in school, um, I think you'd have maybe your, your one or two and some teams have the odd third guy that maybe could be a fringe player in the NHL. Uh, but now some of these powerhouse programs, they really have a handful of guys that probably can step up to the next level and, and have a lot of success doing so. Lots of people have been watching, you know, Tiger King, among other hit TV shows. Outer Banks is a new hit TV show. What have you been doing during this quarantine? Um, so I, I did watch Tiger King. Uh, I definitely misinterpreted how long we were going to be quarantined for. <laughs> I think my wife and I finished Tiger King in four days. And uh, we were like, okay, that was awesome. That was hilarious. But 
What do we do now? (laughs) What do we do now? Um, So we watched that. We watched um, All American. I don't know if you've uh, come across that yet on Netflix. Um, Highly recommend that for you and your listeners and viewers. Uh, I will say it's it's based loosely on a true story of a football player that grew up in California from a not great area, was recruited to play high school football in Beverly Hills, a very nice area, and ended up going to play in college. But it's the story beyond that. And it's, I think, a loosely true story. There's some Hollywood dramatic effect in there, which of course is Netflix specialty that when an episode ends, you're like, well, what's going to happen? And then you automatically start the next episode. Yeah, exactly. Episode. Just going to complete binge watching. Yeah, exactly. You just flip the button and you five hours go by. You don't even know. What <laughs> uh, but for me right now, the, the two things that I've been watching, and I'm trying to be slower on my binging of them is uh, Ozark, which I feel like everyone's. Yeah, I heard about. Ozark is really good. Yeah, I just finished the first season last week, and it's uh, it's really intense, but it's so good. It's it's so well done. Jason Bateman's phenomenal in it. Um, and then The Last Dance on ESPN. Oh yeah, uh, yeah. I have one more episode left in that. Uh, but and I grew up, you know, in the '90s. I grew up with Michael Jordan, obviously being uh, a guy that everyone looked up to. In Philadelphia, Allen Iverson was was similar, not from the sense of being the mega superstar worldwide that Jordan was, but as far as being the best player in the league at the time of his heyday. Um, so I had that kind of re- reflection and it's been weird to look back on that and remember, man, just how good he was and how, you know, inspiring of a mindset he has. It's been cool to kind of watch that reflect. And when all this ends, try to put that kind of a mindset into to work and preparation moving forward. Now, on your Instagram, uh, you've been doing this hockey corn talk that I've been seeing. Uh, you bring in guests in the hockey industry and you just talk, you know, hockey. Like, how did that idea come about? So I just kind of – I've always wanted to do something like that, like how you're doing right now. I've always wanted to have a podcast, and it's just been a matter of our schedule. It just doesn't lend for me to be able to do so. all those – you know, you know how it works, to track down the guests, to get everything scheduled, coordinated time-wise. I mean, we had to work through a couple different times uh, to get this one set up. But and, and I know you've been doing a great job with this because I've watched some of the interviews that you've done. You've been able to get a ton of people. It's really impressive. And I give you a lot of credit for that. But that that's been the you know the main thinking for me too is that I you know I wanted to do something along those lines. I think podcasts can be many different kinds of looks nowadays. You don't have to have just strictly the audio component, as we've seen. Spit and Chicklets does. Yeah, I listened to that. Yeah, and they, they do the audio. Sure, you can put that on while you're in the car. You can put that on your headphones while you're doing work around the house, whatever. Um, but they also post on Twitter the video component to them talking. They put some stuff up so you can see it. So I just think there's so many different ways to have those kind of conversations and get people excited and engage people um, that, to me, I felt like, you know, I, I'm still kind of a, a newbie when it comes to Instagram. This is my first year using Instagram. Um, so I tried to dive into it head first with all the content I could put out from, from this past season. Uh, and then obviously, like anyone else, was not anticipating us pausing uh, three quarters of the way through. But um, was able to you know put our radio clips up from games and stuff like that and engage the fans. And then I thought, how can I keep myself relevant during this pause? That was one way. I've been fortunate enough to come across a lot of great people uh, and very friendly and giving and generous people in the hockey industry, which I think is pretty much par for the course, as I'm sure you can attest to as well. Most people in this sport are, are just good people that want to help and want to you know, talk hockey. So that's kind of how I pitched it to all of my guests. I, I had the opportunity with a few of them to actually work with them in the case of uh, you know, a guy like Mike Rupp, uh, a guy like Colby Armstrong. Um, that I do stuff with with our Penguins broadcast. So I'm friendly with them to begin with uh, on, a, on a more personal basis, aside from just work. And I think that that stuff's been a lot of fun. And I'm this week, not having one, but next week we'll be back into it. <laughs> I appreciate your comments about watching my podcast. Uh, you know, I shouldn't go without uh, notice. Um, you know, NASCAR ratings have skyrocketed since it's come back. Have you ever watched it? I actually, so my first job out of school, I worked in Elmira, New York, which is not far from Ithaca. Um, And they used to have an ECHL team there, the Elmira Jackals. I think they're now in the Federal League. Uh, But they're about 25 minutes away from Watkins Glen International, which is one of the sites for NASCAR. Uh, And before I got that job, I had watched a grand total of zero seconds (laughs) NASCAR. (laughs) Um, 
And then I got that job. And then I covered a few of those Watkins Glen races. And it, I still say to this day, you used to consign me up to go to a NASCAR race anywhere, anytime. I love the environment. I love the party. I love the aspect of it. And I just love the racing. Like there's something to be said about just sitting and watching these cars go 150, 180 miles an hour and take the turns and everything. And so, so to answer your question, yes, I have been watching it. Um, I actually didn't realize the one was last night until I was scrolling through or Wednesday night, I should say, until I was scrolling through Twitter and I saw it and I, I kind of popped it on for a couple seconds. But uh, the one this past weekend, I did watch a couple minutes of that. Um, I, for me, it's hard to watch on TV. I think it, as some people feel about hockey, I think it's better in person. Um, oh, for sure. But definitely when you're when you're dying for live sports. And that's out there. I, I would encourage people to give it a chance. I think they'd be surprised because I know I was when I got to see it up close and personal. Did you see what Cal Bush did last night? I did. Yeah, that was crazy, man. <laughs> that was pretty wild. That's uh So Kyle Busch, uh, I want to say it was the second or third year as a Watkins Glen, he won. Um, okay. Obviously, as you know, I'm sure from watching the sport, and I learned from covering it, um, kind of a villain. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and uh, not really well liked by a lot of the fans. So when he won, it was kind of awkward because a lot of people were booing. And I was just like, what the hell? Like, what's going <laughs> on? Uh, but then you quickly realize the more you watch, and honestly, the more you're around him, he doesn't exude the friendliest uh persona to put it lightly so yeah those those that was that was uh crazy to be honest it was really interesting towards the end of that race um so what were some of the bumps in the road that you encountered uh you know going from where you were in college to where you are today so for me um like i said i i always wanted to work in hockey the biggest bump in the road for me was to get over the bump into the hockey world. I just couldn't figure it out. I mean, I, I had gotten a lot of play-by-play experience. I had reported a lot on hockey in college, as I mentioned, with Cornell. Um, and obviously my first job covering the ECHL. And at times going down to, at the, at the time, they were the Binghamton Senators, the Ottawa Senators affiliate. Uh, and that was only about an hour drive from my first job. So I'd go down there and cover them a lot. Uh, guys like J.G. Pajot were down there, uh, Andrew Hammond. Um, I'm trying to think of some of the other names that were on that team at that time. Guys like that, guys that we now know uh, and that have made their mark in the NHL. Um, so, you know, I had an opportunity to cover a lot of those guys and be around them and kind of see that kind of aspect. And it just reinforced it more that I wanted to work in hockey and cover hockey. But uh, obviously there's not a million jobs to do that. Um, so what I kept doing was working in television because that is my passion of broadcasting and telling stories and stuff of that nature. All the while continuing to send out emails to people in NHL organizations, AHL organizations, anything like that, that, you know, what kind of advice could you give me? What am I doing? Uh, what am I not doing? I should say that I could be doing to put myself more on your radar to joining your organization, uh, those kind of things. Because that, to me, was, was some of the biggest hurdle just to, to figure out how I could get working in hockey uh, on a full-time basis. So 
Um, as I continued to progress through my career, I was able to, you know, rise up the ranks and cover a lot of big time events, uh, both uh, on the television side and the radio side. As I was getting ready to figure out where I was going to go after my last job prior to my Penguins one, the Penguins actually posted a job on Teamworks Online uh, for a radio um, pregame, postgame and intermission host, as well as a Penn's TV host. Uh, and I thought, well, this is this is what I do. And this is hockey. So I applied for it. I uh, was fortunate enough to get the job, and I've kind of parlayed that into more opportunities that have come about uh, over the last year and a half or so, a couple of years, uh, I guess three years now, doing play-by-play. So it's been it's been a lot of uh, growth and a lot of you know risk-taking and chance-taking in the process, but it's really paid off. I, I love the, the city. I love the organization, and uh, they've been great to me and my family, so. Um, yeah, that, that is good. Uh, what was, oh, I, I completely lost my train of thought. Um, so going, uh, with, you know, with your job, what's a typical, uh, game day for you? So a typical game day, um, for me, I'll give you more of an example on the road because I do all of our road games and I kind of split with Mike, uh, lying at home still. So my tasks at home are a little different, but, uh, on road, a typical road game day, Let's say I see your hat. Let's say we're playing Montreal. Um, so I tend to get up uh, any time between 7 and 7.30 on a game day. I like to work out in the morning. That's the first thing I do. Um, so I go to the hotel gym or if it's nice enough, which, as you know, in Montreal, most of the time in hockey season, it's not nice enough to go outside for a run. Uh, but, you Americans don't like our Canadian weather. <laughs> I've never met slippier, slippery, more slippery streets in downtown Montreal, Quebec. And I mean that as a compliment. It's, the best. <laughs> it's like you're ice skating to the Bell Center down there. It's great. Uh, but so I'll get that workout and I generally work out for about 45 minutes or so. Come back to my room. Um, we're in Canada. It's no questions asked. Slam dunk Tim Hortons. Got oh, yeah, it. for sure. Um, so I, 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 you know, get ready to go to our morning skate, cut out a few minutes early before our bus will leave. And then uh, you know, duck around the corner from where we stay. There's Tim Hortons. Go there, get my bagel, get my double-double. Uh, um, good to go. Fired up. Got all my sugar and caffeine in me. Uh, <laughs> and then uh, go to the morning skate, which, you know, uh, generally for the road team, we don't skate first. It's usually the home team. The Canadians actually have their, as you know, their practice facility. So maybe that wasn't the best example. But if we're saying teams are in the same rink, the home team will usually skate first. Uh, at that time, I kind of pay attention to that. Um, in this day and age with Twitter, if you're not able to get the line combinations right away, they're all going to be there at some point. So I don't stress too much if I'm missing anything as far as line combinations, power plays, and everything like that. Uh, and then I, you know, I'll, I'll do my my prep in the stands, pick up the game notes, uh, and kind of just start to take notes. What I like to do a lot in the morning skate is just familiarize myself, re-familiarize myself, I should say, with names and numbers. You know, if I'm watching the Canadians and, you know, Arturi Lekkinen will take the puck up the, up the ice and come down the right wing, I'll, I'll just kind of, in my head, like while I'm watching him, no other thing, just kind of be like 62, Lekkinen, Lekkinen, 62. Just kind of roll through that with each player as they're going out there getting your, your brain moving in the sense of these are the names that you're going to be saying at rapid fire in eight, nine hours from now. So kind of get it going in that sense. Um, and then after that, generally go down, hear the opposing team's coach speak, Claude Julian. Uh, usually I think the Canadians talk while their players are still on finishing up their skates. So, you know, he'll, he'll talk to the media for 15 minutes or so. Then the G team generally opens up their room for me, I like to go in and just kind of, if there's anything <clears throat> that I think is kind of like a, um, you know, connection with a Penguins player, a connection with Pittsburgh, something of that nature, I like to get that and hear their story of it so I can kind of tell that on the air if the opportunity presents itself. Uh, for example, I know he's since been acquired by Pittsburgh, but earlier this year, the Penguins played the Canadians and Riley Barber had just been called mm -hmm. up and he's a Pittsburgh kid. Um, so I actually knew him from doing some stuff with him in the past and was able to go down there and talk to him and, and hear, you know, some stories about what the last 24 hours were like and, and just take some notes on that. Nothing that I'm doing with a recorder. It's all just kind of writing notes down, little, little nuggets that I can keep at my side during the game uh, if the opportunity presents itself to say something. 
Um, and then, you know, after that, get back up in the stands, watch the Penguins skate. That one I'm a little more dialed in as far as with the line combinations, defensive pairings or whatever are. And I've watched enough practices and been around the Mike Sullivan run team enough that I kind of know when things are going to start, like when they're going to jump into the line rushes. When, when, for example, when they do power play, their skate's over. After that, they're done. They're not, they're not doing anything after that. They'll get a stretch, and then they're off the ice. Um, and then after that, we have a sponsored pregame interview for radio uh, that I have to do with a player. It's about a minute, a minute 15. It's nothing crazy, just kind of previewing that game. Anything, you know, relative, like, for example, um, earlier this year, Chris Letang played in his 800th game uh, against the Washington Capitals, and I did a pregame interview. enough. Yeah, right. <laughs> Seriously. Um, and I did a pregame interview with him about that, just kind of playing 800 and, and, you know, his memories against the Caps. He's obviously had some moments with them. Um, so stuff like that. I try with these players to not make every single interview be about the team you're playing that night and a couple questions about that night, because I just think it gets redundant. If there mm. are other stories that you can work in, like a milestone, like, you know, maybe a guy grew up, for Latang, another example, grew up outside Montreal. If we ever play the Canadians, that's something else you could talk about with them. For them too, because they're they're getting asked the same questions by everyone every day. Exactly. We're yeah. asking this, you know how it is. We're asking the same questions. So it gets can, boring. Exactly. It gets boring, gets redundant. Over an 82 game season, it just gets tiring, I think, mentally. So um I for me I try to find little things differently that I can talk about. And they're usually pretty receptive to most things. So uh, that's kind of what I'll do. Uh, from that, Sullivan will talk. The locker room, as I mentioned, will open. I'll do my interview. And then we kind of get back uh, on the bus, go back to the hotel for the afternoon. Uh, generally for a 7 o'clock game, uh, we take there are two buses. There's an early bus and a later bus to the arena. I always take the later bus uh, with my broadcast partner, Phil Bork. Uh, and then our TV guys are also on that bus, Steve Mears and Bob Airy. Uh, and... We get to the arena probably a for a seven o'clock game a little bit before five. Uh, you know, go upstairs, kind of get stuff situated, maybe get the media meal. I tend to get a big lunch in the afternoon, so I don't eat the media meal. Um, but sometimes in Montreal, you can't not get the hot dogs. They're they're unbelievable. Uh, so we will do that, and then you know the, the the game obviously starts at seven. I'll probably get in the booth about five forty-five, five fifty. Another solid couple hours of prep. And I should mention that afternoon when I get back, I'm locked in my room for a solid two and a half, three hours doing prep uh, and getting things in order for the game. Then I'll do another hour or so before the game. Watch warm-ups. I, as I mentioned during the morning skate, I use warm-ups as a warm-up for myself also. Uh, I'll start to you know call out plays as I'm watching and my I start to pick up my speed and my cadence when I'm calling things and mention players' names and little facts about them as they're skating so I can get those thoughts rolling in my head. Uh, and then, you know, as the game leads up, we do our intro right before 7 o'clock, take it up to the anthems, puck drops, and game's on. And then after a game, uh, generally on the road, we're right out of there that night, depending on uh, where we are. If we're on the West Coast and we're coming back east, we spend the night. But if we're anywhere east of the Mississippi River, we're coming back to Pittsburgh after the game. So uh, it's long nights, but you can't complain. They're awesome. Are you given any sort of like rosters? Because you said that you like to run through plays. So are you given any rosters that you can yes, look off? The NHL uh, does a great job, and this is for everyone. Uh, okay. Uh, the NHL is uh, – you know, they've, they've been uh, really good about giving beat reporters, broadcasters, anyone uh, a full on uh, roster sheet, game notes, all these kind of things that you could have at your disposal on top of what you might research on your own and whatnot. So I think it's been it's, it's just been extremely helpful to have that every single game. But then obviously I take that as kind of a template and as kind of a starting point and I add my other notes that I congregate throughout the day, stuff that I find on just researching things, uh, stuff that other players will tell me on their own um, to what I already have as far as my notes are concerned. So, yeah, those are kind of the building blocks, and then you just build out, so to speak, from there. And to go along with your practice, do you ever, like, mute NHL highlights and just go over it, you know, by yourself? 
all the time, Michael. <laughs> yeah, all the time. Um, I think my wife thinks I'm insane with how much I actually do that. Uh, so that's that's kind of how I stay fresh when I'm not calling. And there will be times I've caught myself here. I have a dog and I walk my dog a lot more than I usually do during this quarantine, obviously. Um, and I will just be walking and envisioning plays and talking out loud and I'll catch myself. And I'm like, People are probably like, this guy is insane. <laughs> and I'm like, these people aren't social distancing from me. They're just afraid of me. They're terrified. Yeah, exactly. like, talking to. <laughs> so that, that's kind of what, you know, that, that's what I've been doing a lot of to try to stay sharp because I believe, you know, play by play, uh, any kind of broadcasting, really, the only way you get better is with reps. Uh, and there are no reps to be had right now for anybody. Um, so it's, it's kind of been a challenge in that front, but I'm trying my best. So you were part of the on-site production team during the 2010 hockey winter Olympics for NBC. What was that experience like? Uh, coolest experience in my life. Um, that was my, uh, what was that junior? Yeah. Spring of junior year in college. Um, so I, I got out to Vancouver two and a half weeks before the Olympics. Never had been to Vancouver before. I heard it's really rainy. Uh, it's it's really rainy, but it is beautiful. Like I I had never I think I'd been to I'd been to Toronto, I'd been to Montreal, uh, never had been to I'm just trying trying to think of the Canadian cities. Never had really been west of Montreal, I guess, um, or Toronto, I guess. Um, and to get out there, it was unbelievable. Probably one of my favorite cities to go to in the NHL right now um, for many reasons, but. Going out there a couple weeks early, uh, we started to build a lot as far as the sets were concerned. We started to get things in order as far as, you know, rundowns and where people needed to be on certain nights and everything like that was concerned. And I should mention that when I found out I was going to work the Olympics, it's it was technically an internship. So, oh, okay. so it was a pretty cool internship, but I was listed as a runner. So I was I was like an employee of NBC Sports. They just give it to you as an internship to put on your resume. And in that stage, you're like, oh, this is the best internship ever. Yeah, exactly. Especially <laughs> since it's the Winter Olympics. Exactly. So I, I remember when I first found out I got it, I was like, man, it would be it would be just so cool if I could get hockey. But I'm not going to kill myself and, and, and be upset about it if I don't. Like, there's so many cool sports to see. I remember I got the email. And when I did my interview, they asked me if I was interested in the sport. I was like, you know, I grew up playing hockey. I my sport that I would love to work, but the Winter Olympics are the Winter Olympics. You know, if I'm in figure skating, I still would think it's pretty cool. Um, and I remember I got the email that I was going to work not only hockey, but the opening and closing ceremonies also. Ooh. So, so I, I lucked out. I mean, I couldn't have had, I'm sure you feel the same way. If you're a hockey person to get those things, that was, that was the coolest thing ever. Like I was in the building. Um, I don't know if you remember for the opening ceremonies when the skier jumped through the rings yeah, and that was cool. I was I was in the building like when that happened. That was pretty cool. Um, <clears throat> and then obviously the, the closing ceremonies were right after Canada won the gold medal. Um, so that was just chaos uh, in a good way, though. A lot of fun. Um, and yeah, so that was uh, that was just an unbelievable experience. I got to see so many things um, and really appreciate the Olympics. It's actually become a, a career goal of mine to be able to call the Olympics, not, not hockey necessarily. I mean, hockey would be great, but just to be able to be a part of a broadcast, even if it's the most minute sport in the whole landscape and no one's watching just to be able to be there again. I hope to be able to do that again in my lifetime. Cause there's nothing, there's no event in the world. that's like it. Um, it's just uh, really cool to see all these people come together from all these different countries and the passion they have for their countries and athletes that you're familiar with and athletes you've never heard of who you become fans of because you get to see live and in person and appreciate their greatness and just how incredibly talented they are at their respective sport and for me I mean like that was that was like the coolest part of it we would get to go see a lot of the events going on like the speed skating uh in our we, we didn't have a lot of downtime and I think you know like when you're that young and when you're just excited to be there Every second of downtime is not a chance to, like, take a nap. It's like, let's go somewhere. Like, let's see something. So, like, for us, it was, you know, we went to curling. We went to speed skating. We did figure skating. Like, because we had the badges so we could get into the building. 
Um, and, you know, even if it was to see 30 minutes, like everything was the coolest thing in the world to me. Like I, I didn't, I didn't really care. So, um, but yeah, it was an unbelievable experience all, all, from start to finish. I was out there for a month and a half in Vancouver and I loved every second of it. Uh, the, the coolest thing of all of it was that I had the seat as a stats guy and a runner for the gold medal game right behind Doc Emmerich and Eddie Olchick. So I was literally sitting behind. Yeah. So the funny part about that is, and I've told some people this story before, is that obviously, as you know, Canada was leading in that game late. Yes, they were. Now, there was a commercial break, and it was different then because you had the international broadcast. uh, You know, they run everything across the way, and and everyone has the same little ticker at the top, regardless of what – outlet you're broadcasting from and they they reinforced this is a you know a very neutral event oh yeah like I'm, i must have thought like it is so hard to keep you know like you you're an american i'm a canadian so it must have been so hard to keep it like un, unbiased as possible yeah so like that that's what i was like kind of watching doc emmerich and eddie Olchick and you know, Edzo, obviously, he played for Winnipeg. Like, I think he has a lot of love for Canada. Who doesn't that loves the sport of hockey? Like, you guys have brought so much to the table from start to where we are right now. Well, I mean, 95% of the Penguins or, like, any other NHL team is Canadian, so. Yeah, and, and the staffs, too. There's a lot of people from Canada. So, um, and a lot of my good friends are Canadian, too. So, that game was, uh, you know, that, <laughs> that, was, that was a crazy game. And when Zach Parise scored to tie that game late, um, I remember we were told to keep it quiet, like keep our cool. And when he scored, just because of the stage of that goal, the whole NBC booth was like, <laughs> <laughs> and it was so quiet around us, obviously. Yeah. Um, and and people were looking, and I just remember being like, oh my god, like I think like in the moment, which I realize now, it kind of hit me like this is a game that I'm watching, that people are going to be talking about this game for the rest of my life because of how close these teams are, how exciting this game is. And this is before Sid scored the golden goal. Oh, like, for I'm, sure, yeah. Like, this is just, like, gold medal game, U.S.-Canada, first time they're ever matching up in a gold medal game. It goes to overtime, like, I mean, for the men's side, I should say. Yeah. It goes to overtime. And, you know, like, I, honestly, I've heard some of the guys from the U.S. team talk about this, that, and I felt the same way. I thought the U.S. was going to win because they scored that goal. Well, they had all the momentum going. Yeah, right. And you, you're thinking, like, you know, Ryan Miller's playing out of his mind. Oh, for sure, yeah. They, t- they tied this game. Canada was that close. And now they have to come back on their home ice. There was an uneasy feeling in that building because I think people were just like, oh, my God. Like, it's overtime. You know, one shot costs you the game. Right. And then Sid scored that goal. And I have to admit, like, even when he scores the goal, and I still, like, as I'm telling you it now, like, I got such chills in that moment because, like, it was, I, I still say to this day, it was as loud as I've ever heard anything in my life because, like, that was a country. That wasn't a, a team. Like, that was literally, like, you had probably people in that building from Toronto that were ca- Team Canada, people from, like, the Yukon. They, yeah, probably. <laughs> just out of nowhere. <laughs> yeah. And, like, going insane and hugging each other. And, like, I just remember looking around and being like, this is – like, I, I was upset that the U.S. lost, but, like, not upset. How could you be upset? It's, it's I, a moment that everyone's going to be talking about. But at the same time, like, for the sport of hockey – because you remember, like, so many people were watching that game. So many oh, people yeah. had their eyeballs on it. To have that kind of a game on that kind of a stage and obviously to have the best player in the world score to end it, like, it's – it's like a storybook. It was so cool. Like that was that was one of the coolest things ever. And then I remember they have a main drag um, in Vancouver, Main Street, um, called Granville Street. And I walked out onto. I actually posted some pictures from this on my Instagram on the anniversary this past year of Sid's goal. Um, and I walked out that night, and it was bedlam. Like people shoulder to shoulder, Canadian flags everywhere, sparklers in the air, like. I just took a couple pictures at the time because I was like, this is cool, but I'm so glad I did because it's like, it's just crazy to think that I was there and like the, the, you know, when you see these replays, you're like, oh, I remember exactly where I was sitting. I remember seeing, you know, Doc and Edzo as the puck came to Jerome McGinley in the corner 
And then as the puck came to Sid, the people in front of us stood up because he scored and you couldn't see anything. It was just chaos. But it was it was so cool. Like, it was awesome. How loud was Sidney Crosby's cheer for Iggy to pass him the puck? Because I caught TV mics. You could hear it on television. Yeah. Oh, yeah. They, they, Iggy. Yeah. <laughs> he's... he's I, I will say that's something that he's continued to do. He, he's got that little yip when he wants the puck, and I think guys know uh, who's asking for it, and they make sure to get it to him because he generally doesn't make the mistake. But that was loud. You could hear it. And I think in the moment in the arena, you don't know what that is. Um, but yeah. when you watch it back now, you're like, oh, yeah, like you hear it loud and clear. Um, did Crosby ever boast to you about his gold medal? Like, Do you guys ever have jokes about that or no? No, he's – Sid is, is – for as big of a star as he is and the responsibilities that he has every single day, he is the most down-to-earth guy. He's the most gracious guy, and he's he's honestly just such a normal person that just so happens to be so driven and so skilled and so talented uh, and so successful um, that he, he's, he's got a great combination of attributes there. But, it, like, he is not that kind of a guy at all. He's just so hyper-competitive that – you know, I'm sure he would. If you asked him about it, he might laugh it off. But if he he gets the chance, and so many of these other guys get the chance in 2022, they're going to want that too. Like they're they're not going to be thinking about 2010 anymore. So like he's just a he's just a hyper competitive guy, and obviously his success speaks to his mindset. Uh, did you like having the 2018 Olympics without NHL players? So um, no. <laughs> yeah, I don't think anyone did, to be honest. Yeah, it kind of it kind of lost its luster, I think, for a lot of people, right? Like that's so so fun to watch. Like that's why the World Cup of Hockey was so awesome with that little change up. But um, one of one of the kids I actually grew up with and played hockey with was on Team USA that, as a result of that uh, and scored the first goal for Team USA in the Olympics that oh, year. Wow. Brian O'Ne- Brian O'Neill, uh, who played in the AHL, I think he was the AHL MVP one year actually. Uh, and I played peewee with him. Um, and we were linemates for one game, and I scored two goals, not because of anything I did, mainly because of everything he did. Uh, <laughs> but he, he was, uh, that was that was cool for me to be like, hey, wow, this is a guy I played with that's wearing the USA sweater and just scored in the Olympics. Like, that's awesome. But, yeah, when you look back on it, it's, it's, it's too bad because it's such a great opportunity for people in Asia in that sense, and, you know, being in Pyongyang, uh, where was it? In, Pyeongchang. Uh, Pyeongchang, yeah. Being there, like, it's such an opportunity for these people that don't get to see hockey at that level. Like, they may have hockey in Korea, but to see some of these unbelievably talented all-world athletes go toe-to-toe, not to take anything away from the guys that were there. They're a hell of a lot better than any of us are. But, like, that's just such a great experience, and it's too bad because it, it would have been really cool. Yeah, for sure. Um, and how badly, you know, final question for the Olympic talk, uh, how badly do you want the NHL to return to the Olympics? Uh, I, I know that there's a lot of, you know, especially with the games, I think the 2022 Olympics are also out in China, if I'm not mistaken. So I think that there's a lot of obstacles when it's like that, just with time change, with breaking up the season schedule. And who knows now with how things are looking with this play stoppage, that could trickle into the next couple seasons as far as the calendar is concerned. So would I like to see it? Absolutely. Would, do I think it's the best possible product? hundred percent. I don't know if it's possible with what's going on right now that it's a guaranteed thing, but I think everyone kind of saw how things played out in 2022, the NHL and the players. And I think maybe most people think that if you look at it with glass half full approach in, in 2022, there's an opportunity that things could potentially be a little different. How breathtaking is it to call a game when Crosby's up against McDavid? You know, basically the second coming of him. <laughs> you, uh, you you better bring your oxygen tank because it's it's warp speed. Those those two have played uh, some of the most fun games that I've ever called. Uh, I've been Penguins Oilers because that those games there's just I mean obviously you talk about Crosby McDavid but and I always say like Balkan you got Drysital like the oh games. yeah. These guys are just unbelievable. Like, I think Dreisaitl, I'm such a fan of his. He's such a good player. He's such an elite passer as well. The vision on him is insane. 
Yeah, and, and I think when Connor missed all that time and you saw how well he performed and the Oilers didn't slip, you're like, okay, like this guy, in a way, like Malkin, he's not just like a compliment. Like, he is a star. He is a superstar. Um, and, you know, I love that matchup. I, I just think it's a lot of fun from the perspective of calling the game. You know Connor gets up for it. Sid will never say he does. But <laughs> he does. Um, and I, I remember, I think it was uh, last season – they played in Edmonton. Penguins won 6-5 in overtime. That was the game where Sid put the puck through Ryan Strom's legs and, and filled uh, Cam Talbot. To this day, I, I remember calling that. When that goal went in, I almost fell out of my chair saying scores. Like, it was one of the most ridiculous things. Like, just the – you talk about, like, you know, just the, the brilliance. It's just the ability to, to possess the puck and work his edges that late in the game after – going into overtime and having a guy draped on your back, like, it's just unbelievable. And then Connor, obviously, you know, I've talked to Mike Sullivan about this, and he said this publicly a few times that I mean, you never, we've never seen a guy that can move like him. Oh, like, for sure. You've never seen a guy like that. And you've never seen a guy that can move like that with a puck on his stick, too. Mm -hmm. The only other guy, and I, I think this is it in the league for me, it's 1A and 1B here. They can skate that fast and look that in control of the puck. Connor McDavid's 1A. I think Nathan McKinnon is 1B. And yeah. Johnny Gaudreau is up there, too. Johnny's a little bit more like a water bug when he gets going. But those two, McKinnon's like a gazelle. Uh, I guess more like a thoroughbred. And McDavid's like a gazelle. When they get going, <laughs> like, they just, they're so, it's so fun to watch. Like, it's it's beautiful. Like, it's, it's just such nice hockey. And, and they, they put such a performance on. I, I, I love it. I mean, I love it. We only obviously get to see Colorado and Edmonton a couple times a year, but I really look forward to those games. I circle those games uh, to be able to see those guys live, as I'm sure many people do, uh, and have the opportunity to call their names. And, and I don't take that for granted. Like, those are some of the most fun games to call. I would be lying if I said otherwise. When something exciting happens, how do you think of the line that you're going to use? Um, I I don't know. That's a good question. I, I've never really been one um, <clears throat> for like a shtick or anything like that. Like Mike Lang has made himself famous with his Langisms and, and he has a lot of these lines after goals are scored, but he's been doing this since the early seventies. So like people who know about that and know about him, like that's him. And I kind of made a vow when I came here that I didn't want people to think that I was trying to be like him. And quite honestly, it almost makes me a little uncomfortable to do stuff like that. And that's no knock on him or anyone else that does it. I just, I feel like my natural reaction is whatever I give you. And sometimes that's, you know, a really long winded thing. Sometimes that's two words of just like, like, I don't even know what else to say. It's unbelievable. Uh, like for example, the, the game last year, uh, Jared McCann with the Penguins scored a shorthanded goal against Dallas. The backhander, if you look it up on YouTube, it's it's a beautiful goal. Teddy Bluger gets him a puck in the neutral zone. He comes to the right circle, and uh, there's a star that was, like, coming up to converge on him, and he just kind of took the puck, curled on the backhand, and just whipped it. And he beat, uh, I think it was Anton Hudobin was in goal for Dallas, beat him. And I, I don't even remember, I, I said something along the lines of, like, Jared McCann, Oh my goodness, like something like that after he scored. And I didn't say another word and I didn't really think about it. But then I'm watching later that night, like the highlights on NHL Network, and they took my call and put it over it. And I was like, it worked. Like it was, it was perfect for what happened there because I didn't need to say anything afterwards. Like people, anyone who watched that goal or saw that goal was like the same reaction. Like, holy smokes, what, what do I even say? You know, like, and so that, that, I think, is important, letting a play breathe, letting a moment breathe. But then there obviously are times where there's an overtime goal and there's a little bit more that needs to be said and, and stuff like that. So I try to not have a, a, a line, per se, ready to go, more, more so a thought um, or something of that nature. But I just definitely try to not be scripted because I think from a play-by-play -play perspective, when you get a little scripted, that's when you can try to trip yourself up a little bit because you're overthinking it too much and not letting things just come to you. Yeah, I can definitely see where you're coming from. You know, you want to just stay as natural as possible. Definitely, yeah. What did it feel like being part of uh, the Penguins team winning the Stanley Cup in 2016? 
Oh, it was a whirlwind. It was, as you mentioned, it was my first year. Um, and I, uh, <clears throat> I, I came on board and basically, you know, you meet the players. It's kind of a whirlwind. Uh, you go through everything uh, as far as the regular season. And that season was, was not easy for the Penguins. Uh, it started off kind of mediocre. They had just gotten Phil Kessel from Toronto. The expectations were through the roof. Um, you know, Marc-Andre Fleury was uh, banged up midway through the year. Matt Murray comes in. We all know how that all ended up playing out. But also, Mike Johnston was the head coach of the team to start the season. And he was fired in mid-December. Um, I remember thinking, like, wow, what did I walk into here? Like, this team with so much talent should be so much better than they are right now. But here they are, they're 10th in the Eastern Conference at the Christmas holiday. Sorry, they're 10th in the Eastern Conference at the Christmas holiday. And now they're hiring and bringing in this Mike Sullivan. And I'm like, okay, well, I don't know much about Mike Sullivan other than he used to be John Tortorella's right-hand man. And I've gotten to know Sully really well. And he's an unbelievable guy, like really, really nice guy. Obviously, success speaks for itself. But he took over that team and he brought about a new mindset. And I think he had a, a nice perspective having coached against them for so long with the Rangers. He knew these guys and he told them, this is your reputation. This is what people think about you. People know your buttons are easy to push. They know you're easy to get off your game. Let's change that. Let's just play the way we know. You have so much talent on this team. You have so many guys that can play at a high level. If you just play the game and don't worry about any extra crap, you're going to be successful. And they did. And, and you know, the team they played that year from Washington, huh, that, was, that was one of the best teams that didn't get out of the second round probably in NHL history, that Capitals team. They were unbelievably good. Uh, then they played Tampa Bay Lightning, who had just been in the Stanley Cup final the year before in the uh, sec in the conference final. Another great team. Took them to the wire, seven games, win that series. Uh, and then obviously San Jose was, was a, a difficult team as well, although I think the Penguins were the better team as evidenced by the series, but um, they were a challenge in their own right. So that was a, a, an unbelievable experience to go all the way through um, to, to get to, you know, experience everything from going to the Stanley Cup final, being in the shark tank, everything that came with that. Uh, it was it was a lot of fun. I, I had a great time. And, and obviously winning was never how I imagined my first year going. I was just excited to be there, but to be a part of it and then the, the next year do it all over again. It was awesome. Do you, do you receive any Stanley Cup ring? I do. I have two rings uh, that are uh, in the safe, and I occasionally will take them out. But most of the time, I'm afraid I'm going to drop them and break them, so they sit in the safe. <laughs> That's probably the safest idea. Yeah. <laughs> uh, does home ice advantage play a big factor in the playoffs? Um, yeah, I think it can. I, I think that it can work in two ways, right? Like, I, I feel like if you have a place like, for example, Nashville in 2017, I think teams knew when they went into to Nashville that year, you're in for it. Like oh, this, for sure, because they had like the whole like 300 section chanting the goalie's name and whatnot. Right. Yeah. Right. Like you, you knew this is going to be a tough environment. Uh, this is going to be a hostile environment. Washington is a lot like that for the Penguins in particular. You know, going in there, you're going to have your fans in the stands, but that arena hates you, and it's going to be really difficult to go in there and win. But there are some teams that generally are the best teams that find ways in those environments to get it done. And that's why I say, I think it's a double-edged sword because you can have all that emotion and that energy and that excitement, and you can draw upon that in a positive as a team and win and have a lot of success on home ice. But then there's the other side of the coin where you could be a team that hopes for that. And if you fall behind in a game, you start to be a reflection more of the fans kind of sitting in the seats a little uneasy and that tension in the air and that filters into your game on the ice. And then suddenly you're almost like wishing you were on the road because you're, you're, you're nervous and you don't want to mess up anymore in front of the fans. So I think that it can work both ways. Uh, but I do think it is a clear aspect, especially in hockey, uh, maybe more so than any of the four major sports football up there as well, but in the U S at least, but um, yeah, hockey, I think home ice is so critical. This past All-Star game, the NHL child player puck, player and puck tracking, uh, what are your thoughts on that? 
I think it's going to be really interesting to see how that sticks. And if it sticks, um, funny side story. We had uh, a guy on the Penguins this year, Anthony Angelo, uh, actually played at Cornell uh, in Ithaca, New York. Um, and he scored his first NHL goal with one of the tracking pucks and did not know that it was – no one knew. The NHL doesn't have – Oh, right, yeah, they implemented without sending a memo. Right, they just wanted to see how it would work. So he went, they went to get the puck after the goal. And after the game, the NHL came and said, we need the puck. You can't, can't keep it. We have to get it for our tracking stuff. And he's like, well, it's my first goal puck. And they said, well, I'll just give you a different puck from the game. So the NHL took the, uh, the tracking puck back and gave him a different puck. So his That first goal is puck, amazing. Yeah, his first goal puck was a tracking puck. Um, I'm not sure if that ever ended up getting reversed. I don't want to blow the NHL out of proportion for that situation. But I just thought it was funny that his first goal was with this puck that he didn't even know was on the ice. Um, and he had to get it taken from him. So, yeah, that, that was interesting. But I, I think it's a good idea. I mean, anything to pr- improve the game, improve, like, people's understanding of what's going on during the game to make it more um, of a comprehensive product, I'm for it. And I, I think those two aspects are definitely things that can, you know, push that in that direction without being um, big obstacles for anything that happens during the course of gameplay. How important is it building the relationship with the player being off camera? Um, in my role, I think it's really big, uh, mainly because a lot of times, as much as I'm around these guys and as much as I talk to them and interview them, the biggest interaction that we have is sometimes when they're not playing or injured or a healthy scratch and they're listening or they're listening to a replay. And if I'm saying something that maybe is critical of a teammate or critical of somebody else. And I don't have their respect and I don't have their, you know, their friendship and their, the knowledge that they know that I know what I'm talking about. That's when you can go down a tricky path because then they can take it personally and they can get annoyed with you and not want to give you the time of day. So um, I definitely think that's important. I've always been at the perspective just coming from a reporting background myself that relationships are so important to begin with. You, you, you cultivate those over time. They're not something that's built, even for me, not something that's built in the season. I've been with the Penguins now for five years. I really feel like I have a good relationship with the players now. If you would even ask me after the two cups, like, yeah, of course, when you win, everyone's happy. But as far as being friendly with all of them and really knowing them all, it, it takes time. Like, it doesn't just happen overnight. It doesn't just happen over the span of a couple months. Traveling with the team and being with the team helps in that department. But you have to take advantage of that in, in a way to, you know, become friends with them and, and friendly with them uh, and build those relationships. So th- those are the kind of things that I, I think are very important. And I definitely take it to heart for my role. Like you said, you're on the team a fair amount. Do you ever think the players get uh, annoyed by the constant media? Uh, I, I think they get annoyed by um, maybe the, the excessive re- repetition of some questions. You know what I mean? Like they know that that's part of their obligation and part of the players association obligation that they have to do media. But when it's the same questions over and over again, and I I can understand why they would get annoyed about that, but I don't think they get annoyed by the media per se. I think it's just more just if, if it's been a bad game or a stretch of bad games and they're answering the same questions over and over again, it's more like, Hey guys, come up with something else to talk about. Like, here I am to talk, but I don't want to answer the same things. Like, there's got to be some other questions that right. you can ask. Right, exactly. And there always are. So the NHL and local media outlets are replaying past games until the NHL starts back up again. Are you getting bored of those reruns? <laughs> um, yes. Yeah, I think me and everyone else, right? I'm sure yourself included. It's it's good. It's great to look back. It's great to see these games and be like, oh, yeah, like I was saying with, like, you know, the gold medal game, like, Oh, I was there. Like, that's cool to remember that. But that's the kind of stuff that, you know, is fun every once in a while, not every night <laughs> to, to get back to it. I, I understand why it's happening and it makes sense. It's good that they're having something to put on the air and, uh, you know, keep people occupied and keep people, you know, into the game. But it definitely is, is missing uh, as far as the live sports hockey from a personal standpoint is missing the most. And, um, I have to hope that maybe things will change in the near future. But, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it, it was fun in the beginning. It still is cool to look at these games, but it's definitely like, okay, 
this is a lot of the past. Like, let's get to the present. You know, and like we all with the technology we have today, it's one Google search to find the result. Exactly right. Yeah. Um. Oh, too. sorry. You go ahead. No, I was going to say YouTube too. Everything's on YouTube. Oh yeah, for sure. Uh, with the NHL, uh, currently they're proposing a 2014 playoff format. Are you enjoying that proposal? Yeah, you know, I actually have thought a lot about this over the last couple of days because for our perspective, um, it'd be interesting where the Penguins would slot. <clears throat> Excuse me. But um, I think that it'd be kind of fun. It's just unique, you know? Like, I think everyone needs to realize that this is all new. No one's ever done this before. Like, as far as you know, a sports league pausing and coming back. Like, this isn't a lockout. This isn't anything like that. This is something that no one saw coming and has had to adapt to on the fly. So 24 teams to me, like, that's that's unique. That's fun. That's something that, that really opens up the field. And no one's at an advantage because no one's played. No one's Exactly. Played. Everyone's starting from ground zero. Yeah. So, like, I think it's cool. Like, I, I'd be interested to see it. I, I want it to come back. So, for me, it's like anything would be cool. But to me, that that idea sounds very tempting and, and very exciting. So, as you can tell, I'm a Habs fan. Uh, with the 2014 proposal, the Penguins would go up against the Habs. Does that make you nervous at all? Because uh, there have been some Eastern Conference teams saying they would be nervous to go up against Price. I, that's why, right? Like, that that's what would make you the most scared in that matchup is because we've seen, you know, especially if I think they've been saying it would be a best of five. So if it's if it's a short series and he's on his game, which, let's be honest, he's a pretty primetime goaltender, so you would expect him to be pretty on his game in that kind of situation. He would give the Canadians a chance. I think when you're looking at the rosters, like, it's, it's pretty one-sided. But Oh, for sure, yeah. But a good goaltender – a good goaltender changes everything. And, I mean, the Canadians did it to the Penguins in, what was it, 2011, when mm-hmm. Darryl Halak was, was unbelievable in that series against Pittsburgh. So uh, I, I think that, you know, that's definitely something that would give some people some pause. But I think in the grand scheme of things, everyone, would, like, from my perspective, I'm just be excited if we can get it back and get going. You know, like, that's, that's what I'm hoping for. If it's the Canadians, then the Penguins in the first round, great. I, I almost wish we could play it regularly like so we could go to the bell center for a playoff game those are the best um but it doesn't sound like that's going to be the situation so it'll be interesting but it'll it'll be fun like as you mentioned that everyone's on the same playing field uh and that'll help to decide a worthy champion i think what's your preparation for the hub city idea um you mean like as far as multiple cities or well just like ideas because like vegas has been thrown out there edmonton among other cities yeah, it's, it's hard to comment on like, because I just don't know enough about where each city stands with the coronavirus yeah. and, and everything with that. I, I guess from like a perspective of what works best, I think that the, the ideal situation would be to find a rink that has a practice rink connected to it. That's an NHL rink or at least one rink connected to it. You know, some of these rinks have two. So you could have multiple games throughout the course of a day in the same building uh, and, and kind of, you know, limit exposure, but also maximize the exposure of the game at the time. So, you know, Edmonton is a building like that that has a practice facility. Columbus is a building like that that has a practice facility. Detroit is like that that has a practice facility. Um, so there are a handful in the league that work in that sense. I just don't know where those cities stand with the health departments as far as making things happen. But if I had to guess, it's going to, sorry, I have a low battery. (laughs) If I had to guess, it's going to be something that will work in that sense. Uh, So with Buffalo, right, they have the Harbor Center and the Key Bank. So would that be another idea that you're looking for to add on? Buffalo would check that box also. And I think they have two ranks, if I'm not mistaken, because we do our prospect challenge up there for the Penguins. Um, yeah, they have the two rinks in the practice facility and then obviously Key Bank Center. So, uh, yeah, that, that would be a, a, that'd probably be an ideal one with three rinks at your disposal. Cause then you could have, you could conceivably have three games going on at once, you know, like that, that would be awesome. I think that would be what the NHL is looking for. Would you rather, well, talking on the playoffs, would you rather go back to the conference based seating one through eight? Oh, man, that's a tough question because I feel like a lot of people in my boat who have dealt with that Penguins-Capitals second-round matchup a lot recently 
have felt that that's been the Eastern Conference final every time. Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah. So I think you could also make the argument, though, um, that, you know, had this year gone to the postseason normally and say you had Tampa and Boston facing off, that's probably the Eastern Conference final. So I, I, I don't know. I, I've always liked the one through eight. I totally understand what the NHL is going for with the, the Metro, uh, the Atlantic, the Central and the Pacific bracketed divisions kind of thing. Uh, but for me personally, I've always liked one through eight. I, I think it gives you the most reward for your best team facing your worst team. <clears throat> and, and, you know, so-and-so top to bottom. So I think those are the big things that they would stay the same. For me, I, I like that one through eight. I don't think it's going to change anytime soon, though. With the uh, Penguins facing off against the Capitals so much, do you have any relationship with the Capitals broadcasters? Oh, yeah. I, I have relationships with all the guys in the league. I will say, like, as I, as I said earlier, I have yet to meet a person in the hockey world that's not friendly, not gracious, uh, even though the teams are rivals. And the broadcasters can give it to each other from time to time. Uh, they're great guys. Washington, uh, you know, Johnny Walton's their radio play-by-play guy. Joe Beninati's their TV guy. Great people. Uh, I, as you said, we're around them a lot. Uh, you know, ditto for uh, the New York Islanders. We, we played them in the playoffs last year. Chris King, Greg Picker from their radio side. Brendan Burke, another Ithaca College guy. Um, he and I are friendly. So I think that, you know, we, when you're on the road as much as we all are and you kind of go to the same places and you see the same things, you have a lot in common. Uh, there's a lot of talking points away from the hockey world. Um, so you become very friendly with these guys. And yeah, despite, oh, sorry about that. That's all right. This, despite the, uh, the teams they work for, um, they're good people. And I, I feel like they'd say the same about me and we enjoy working with each other and, you know, getting to see each other throughout the course of the season. Uh, when the Capitals defeated the Penguins in 2018, did you get a sense that it was going to be Ovi's year? Um, yeah, I did. Um, because they, they were – the interesting thing to me is I think that Capitals team of the three that beat the Penguins was the worst. I just think that the Penguins were the most tired at that point. And I'm not making excuses, just more like – the teams, if you remember, those 16 and 17 Capitals teams, they were unreal. Like, they were so good. They won the President's Trophy. Like, they were far and away the best team in the NHL. And the Penguins just had their number. And then that year, the Penguins had gone back-to-back. I think they were a little fatigued. They played the Flyers in the first round in a real punishing physical series. Um, and it took a toll on them, I think, a little bit. And, and the Capitals, give them credit, they took advantage. And they were able to beat the Lightning in seven games the next year or the next series. And then obviously beat Vegas, who I think a lot of people maybe thought was going to cap off the Cinderella run and win the Stanley Cup. Um, so, yeah, that team was uh, you could tell, and especially Alex Ovechkin, like he was he was ready to make that step. He had obviously suffered through a lot of heartbreak in his career, but he was uh, blocking shots, doing the little things throughout a series and a game to make a difference. And he was a captain. I mean, the truest sense of the word. And. I, I've said to this day, I've said in a lot of different interviews, that that win and that cup win was the best thing that could ever have happened in the Penguins-Capitals rivalry because it gave the Capitals something, you know, because a lot of people talk about that rivalry. And I'm of the opinion that it's hard to label something a rivalry if it's totally one-sided. And the Penguins had all the cups and they had all the series wins except for one. I think they had won nine of the first ten series meetings and they won uh, the five cups. Capitals had never won. Then they did. And they beat them in the playoffs en route to winning it. So I think that was important for the rivalry. And I'm glad that it took another step forward as a result. No doubt about it. Uh, the first round matchup was against the Flyers. Uh, did you have any encounters with Gritty? <laughs> uh, I So I have had one encounter with Gritty, but it was not during the playoffs that year. Um uh, last year, stadium series game, the outdoor game at Lincoln Financial Field. The day we got there, both teams practiced outside. They had like their family skates at ice level. And Gritty was walking around on the concourse. Uh, and I was kind of like, oh, it's Gritty. And he had security guards with him. But I said that out loud. And he just got right up in my face and stared at me. And I was like, hey, Gritty. And I was like, yeah. <laughs> 
and then he just kept walking and moved on. And I was like, that was that was bizarre. But like, he's he, as you've seen in the videos and, and photos, like he is a goofy looking dude. The one thing that I did not realize, he's huge. He like, looks huge. Like he's like seven feet tall. So when he leaned down and looked at me, I was like, whoa, hey now. Um, and then he <laughs> so yeah. When the NHL comes back, how are you going to adjust to staying two feet away if that's the precaution? I don't know. That's a good question. I have my headsets here that I'll be bringing with me to to limit that uh, as far as using the same headset as other broadcasters. Uh, you know, probably probably keep our notes two feet away. That's probably what we'll do with me and Phil Bork to to keep our distance in that sense, but. You know, when you're in that situation, like you and I talking right now, there's a lot of stuff flying through the air. Just just the reality of it. That's what happens. So um, I guess you'll kind of cross that bridge when we come to it. Hopefully it's a problem we have to deal with. That's that's all I can say. How do you envision uh, your calls? Uh, how do you envision yourself calling the game with no fans in the stands? That's going to be different. Um I think we'll probably ask our radio engineer to crank up the sound effects at ice level so you can hear the sticks and the pucks a little bit more and the boards rattling and stuff like that because you don't necessarily – I mean, you hear that stuff, but it's kind of like – A faint back- noise, you know? Yeah, right, like a faint background noise along with the fans and stuff like that. Um, so, I, I, like, that's that's going to definitely be a weird adjustment. Just even – it's one thing to call a game. It's another thing to look around an arena while you're calling a game and it be empty. Like that's, that's going to be strange. And I'd be lying if I said otherwise. So if that is what happens and we do come back to that, which I think would be the case if we came back, um, I'd be, uh, I'd be very curious to see what it'd be like, but it's definitely gonna be something that I will uh, be adapting to on the fly. That's for sure. Cause I've never done it before. No, no one has. Uh, the most recent game played without fans was in 2015. 20, 20, uh, uh, the White Sox played against the Orioles in Baltimore. Can you imagine how crazy a conversation would be with a player from 2015? <laughs> uh, yeah, <laughs> I can imagine it would be pretty pretty insane. So uh, I do think the ice level is going to pick up quite a bit of commentary, if you catch my drift, uh, for what these guys say to each other during games. So that's going to be the TV and radio's problem to figure out how to censor some of that stuff. But Because uh, we know they have their, their words out there. Um, you can read their lips easy enough. So I, I'm curious to see how that all plays out, but it'll it'll be cool. Uh, so final question here. Uh, do you have any advice for aspiring journalists? Yeah, I so I would always say that the, the biggest thing, as I mentioned earlier, in anything you do from a journalistic perspective is getting reps, is doing what you're doing right now, asking questions, doing shows, writing blogs, you know, fake uh, play-by-play, anything you can do to continue to get reps, to continue to get the muscle memory moving and get yourself better can help you. The other thing is don't be afraid to reach out to people. Don't be afraid to ask for advice. Don't be afraid uh, to send your stuff and send your materials to people for critique. You'd be surprised how many people are going to get back to you and how many people are going to give you advice and give you thoughts on what you can do better and how you can improve. I know it helped me. Uh, and I know it'll help a lot of other people too. All right. Well, I'd like to thank Josh Getzel for coming on today's podcast. Thanks for having me, Michael. Appreciate it.